from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Matt Cowart, I'm a director. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor and a director. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a director and a writer. Uh, today, we're doing the third part of our five-part series on the stages of rehearsal. We've done episodes so far on uh, table work and exploration. Uh, and today, we're going to be talking about staging or blocking rehearsals. Uh, we will then have two additional episodes later this season on the run work section and the tech and preview sections of rehearsal. Every director approaches these different sections differently, and uh, every actor, therefore, has a different way that they are approached uh, with these different stages, each rehearsal process that they have with a different director. And so what we're talking about in this series is what it is that our actors and writers and directors most prefer in the way to approach these, these different sections of rehearsal, and also what they do when they're confronted with a situation where they're not able to work uh, in their most preferred way. Today, again, uh, what we're talking about is staging and blocking rehearsals. And this is, to my mind at least, uh, one of the sections of rehearsal that belongs most to the director on balance more than many of the other sections, where it's about a director working with actors, a director working des with designers. That's certainly the case with, with staging and blocking rehearsals. But it really is something that people sometimes don't necessarily really know all of what a director does for a production. But people generally do understand that they are the ones who direct the traffic that goes along this, around the stage. And this is really a discussion about that part of the process where that traffic gets set and what it is that the director and the actors do as part of that process. So let's start talking a bit about what the goals of staging are, what you hope to achieve from staging. And actually, first, let's talk about it from the perspective of the director. Do you guys have thoughts to kick us off with what it is that a director is looking to do once they get to the point that they're staging a show? Yeah, well, I'd say for me, and this is obviously very simplistic and obvious, but it is to create the roadmap for the play so that people know where they're going. It's like what you said, Kit. It's about, uh, in a very simple way, traffic patterns. People know where they enter, they know where they exit. You know, very simplistic stuff like that. But at that part of the process, for me, is when you really begin, really begin to shape how the story is told visually as well as uh, through the work you've been doing with the actors on their characters and what's happening in the scenes. But, you know, a play is not dissimilar to like a moving piece of visual art. And uh, you should be able to tell the dynamic that is happening in the scene at any moment if you were to press pause. You should be able to describe what is happening based off of the location of people in space, how they're relating to each other. Uh, and it's in this part of rehearsal where you get to really begin to play with that dynamic with the actors. I think that that is that idea of being able to pause it and be able to identify what's going on, I think is 
is really important and actually relates sort of to I have a, 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 a similar VHS tape metaphor, <laughs> um, you know, but the, the idea of that, that, I mean, I've always thought that generally if you were to videotape a show and watch it and fast forward, you should be able to describe the basic action of the story uh, in the play. And of course, if you then were to pause it, hopefully there would then be some sense of what's going on in a particular moment. But I think that there's a real degree to which a director can do a real service to the actors in the play by really putting the narrative storytelling as much as possible in the movement. So that so long as the actors are being in the moment and dealing with each other and working towards their objectives and are moving around in the space, in the way that they've been asked to, and hopefully motivating that movement with something relating to what they're doing, that the story is going to be told. Um, I mean, I've always thought those scenes that are in plays where it's, and two people sit at a table and talk for 15 minutes are just brutal because it's putting so much of the emphasis of the narrative storytelling on the actor that, uh, well, it's just a big extra job that they need to do on top of the job of being in the particular moment that they're, that they're having. Uh, another thing that I would add to that is, you know, when I think of staging, I, I, and I only think about the, the nature of giving the blocking to the actors, so to speak, but also uh, the connective tissue in between scenes, uh, the mm -hmm. way the set moves, if it moves, the way the actors interact with the set. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, a lot of quote-unquote staging isn't only the moves of the actors, but it's the moves of the world of the play and how those things can contribute to the storytelling, how the... You know, in fast forward, those are filling in the pieces between the scenes, uh, so that we're not blacking out, lights up another scene. But there's a, the opportunity to continue to tell the story through the visual picture you're creating. And there actually are very many ways in which you can, you know, not just bring in the movement of the actors and the movement of the set, but also the relationship of the audience to the play can, in very many ways, be dealt with. Um, through blocking. And I mean, for instance, actually, we just did a, a, a workshop production of something here at Cry Havoc a couple of weeks ago, um, where it was, uh, it's a, a play that was developed here that, that takes place in an art studio where uh, these two characters are unwrapping these statues. And the play was done in a thrust with the audience on three sides in the way that uh, Will Clark, who is not with us today but has been with us in the past, but he directed it. And the way that he chose to express that was by hanging like bubble wrap marked with the names of the, of the, of the sculptures in front of the audience. So as the actors were ripping down the bubble wrap, they were unveiling the audience, in turn unveiling the show to the audience members. But also, once they were unwrapped, the audience members became the pieces of art that they were talking about. And that there really was some way about it. That was a big part of staging, but it actually incorporated the audience into the staging. And I think that that's something that obviously that was a fairly audacious way to do it and a very direct way to do it. But there's also some real things that you can do that, that an audience might not be as uh, aware of, but where you can 
give the audience the point of view of one of the actors. That if you, if, if it's really a moment about one of the characters watching one of the other characters do something, if you put the character who's doing the watching with their back to the audience, all of a sudden the audience and the actor are sharing the experience of watching the other person. And there are choices like that that you can make that again aren't just about moving people through space, are not also about moving the set through space, but also about moving the space to a degree in relation to the audience. Is that like focusing the perspective of the audience where you, where you want them to focus? Yeah. Yes, that's what I was uh, just thinking about when you were giving that example of the actor's back to the audience, so we focus on the other character and are seeing, uh, experiencing the same thing as the as the actor with his back to us. Is that I think a large, another maybe a very obvious role of staging is to uh, focus the audience's attention on specific moments and important moments as the play happened, so that you give them kind of mile markers and landmarks through the play of this moment is one to pay attention to. This is an important thing. And uh, that's a very good example of how just the way actors are relating in the space uh, with the audience in mind can help create that focus. And you're also giving the actors that support as well of helping the actors narrow the choices that they've been working on into those specific moments throughout the course of the play and giving the actors anchor points to support what is their role in telling, helping to tell the story. And I think actually it's interesting that there are ways in which sort of that isolating out moments, that it's something that you as a director can do to serve both the actors and the audience. That like this is the moment where they sit together to solve the problem is a meaningful moment both for the audience to see, okay, I understand in their behavior that since they've now both taken a seat at the table that they are serious about trying to solve this problem, but also it provides the landmark for the actors that this is the point where you guys settle down to solve the problem. Um, you know, and it, it's just like there are ways in which that can really help to sort of compartmentalize off the parts of the scene and the flow of the scene and the action of the scene um, by putting the action literally into the action of the scene. I also think something related to what you were saying a, a moment ago, Matt, is that a big part, I mean, we've discussed this before, but a huge part of the director's job, I would argue probably the primary part of the director's job, is to provide clarity. And one of the things that certainly, there are many ways in which staging can provide um, storytelling clarity and character clarity, but also that idea of focus is such an important thing because it is something, we actually did an episode recently about the difference between acting on film and in theater. But one of the things we alluded to, but did not get too deeply into because we were talking about acting, was the fundamental difference of that in film, the director very simply tells people where to look based on where they point the camera. Whereas in theater, there's a certain degree to which you can, you know, use lighting and things like that to focus people's attention. But you do ultimately need to be sure that people know where to look so that they are not missing the important things. And that was actually something I, I just very recently directed a workshop of a show that Jen wrote, actually, 
that takes place in an alley and the way that we had the set set up which was I thought was pretty exciting and 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 I think worked well was that we had the audiences in an alley set up literally on two sides but on a very long very narrow um, piece of real estate so it's like the stage was like four feet wide and 20 feet long but that became such an important challenge and such an important thing which is when there were two people on either side of the alley people were looking at one actor or the other and unless you gave them some sort of a signifier that it was now time to look over at the other person they would miss what the other person was doing and that was something that I mean is always a part of the process but it was especially part of that process was the point at which it was like okay be sure at the end of this line to look up at her because when you look at her we will look at her or you know if you're trying to do something else that we're going to have this actor walk by the other actor and have the other actor start doing their important thing at the point that that actor has walked by them so essentially we're handing off our focus from one actor to the other but those are the sorts of things that really a director needs to keep in mind in their staging is how are you going to control essentially the behavior of the audience it's like a relay yeah like just pass the baton, focus baton from one actor to the other, but the actors are responsible for making the handoff. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, when I was still in school, I was assistant directing on the first musical that I ever worked on, and the director was staging a carnival scene where there were about 30 people on stage, and it was all set to music, but uh, and there was no dialogue. But there were three different storylines that were happening between the main characters that were, that were all very important to track. And it was a huge revelation for me to see the way he allowed us to focus on the important storyline and then pass that off with like a guy with a red balloon walks by in the background and our eye follows the balloon and then he crosses in front of the next part of the story I'm supposed to watch. And then the little boy with a newspaper breaks through them and runs downstage to the next part of the story. So using bodies to draw my eye around the room to where I'm supposed to be looking, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, this is, this is amazing! But it was just a, I think about that moment a lot when I'm thinking about staging large group scenes because of the simplicity with which he told three stories simultaneously. And that, that actually puts me in mind, too, of the idea of the way that actually props can help to figure into things. And specifically, recently here, we also did a staging of a show that Jenny Curlin, who also is uh, often with us and is not today, directed, that the story of that particular play is um, it takes place in a theater after a show has just happened, and the girlfriend of the playwright, who has never read the play before, confronts him about the fact that she thinks that the play is basically about how he's in love with her best friend. And the play is basically their discussion on the set afterwards. And it gets to a place where finally she says that she's going to leave. And what Jenny had them do, which I thought was really wonderful, is that throughout the scene, um, the actress who played the girlfriend who comes to the show had a, a bouquet of flowers with her that she had brought for him. And, you know, so this was a, a nice little touch because it was ironic throughout that as they're having this discussion, she's standing there with the gift that she brought for him. But the way that it finally came to a point where she said, I'm going home, you should go out with everyone. And there's this whole seven or eight line exchange where he's trying to get her 
to either go out with them or that saying that he's going to go home with her. But what Jenny had the actress do was when she said, you should go, she offered the flowers out to him and just held them out to him and he refused to take them. But the whole play then sort of began pivoting around this one prop. And it became, and it also gets back to that, what we were talking about, about the idea of focusing on a moment. It really isolated, this is the beat of the play that really is the decision point. Is he going to let her leave or not? And basically, she physicalized that by making the decision about, will he take the flowers from her? And ultimately, the choice that was made was he didn't, but she just put them down and left. So it also symbolized that ultimately, it was not his decision, despite the fact that it, he seen, that he thought it was in that moment. But it really was something also that I, I, I think that in the same way, too, that the red balloon you were talking about, which is great, can bring us from one place to another, that that little example in the flowers also highlights the way in which stillness can be a critical part of staging, too. That it's not just when people move and how people move, but the moments where they don't. And that, I thought, was a really lovely moment that Jenny staged that was essentially two people who had reached a deadlock point were in mid-gesture and frozen in that gesture for an entire half a page in a way that I thought was also very organic. You know, and that really is, I, I think, ultimately the trick of staging is that it's this giant choreographed ballet of storytelling, but that is hopefully, at least in a naturalistic show, tethered to well-disguised, well-placed motivators to get them to go to those places, to get them to do those things, to justify that moment of stillness before they separate. Uh, yeah, Kit, um, I, I completely agree. And I've often realized for myself that I learn the most about how to stage a play or a musical uh, actually by going to see dance and, and looking at visual art because both of those mediums are not about uh, text or actors or dialogue. They are about storytelling in a frozen space or storytelling uh, through only movement. Um, and whenever I leave either of those experiences, I always find my brain is humming with ideas for shows and, and whatnot because the, cor the correlation feels so visceral to me mm -hmm. and how those tools can be applied to what we do. I mean, I think, I think that's, I find that to be totally true. And, and actually, I find it to be, strangely enough, about paintings and things like that too really impact me in that way. And it is interesting because people talk about creating a stage picture, you know, that that really is a thing. But I think a lot of it also has to do with the idea, I mean, candidly, I'm not crazy about it. It's something I hear people talk a lot about in rehearsal rooms and I'm not sure we've more than two or three times ever mentioned it in four seasons of this podcast, but the idea of energy. Because I feel like, you know, you need more energy. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean an awful lot. It usually is a manifestation of you need higher stakes or something that's actually more actable. But that there really are ways in which, you know, if you look at a painting, you can feel the energy, even in something based on the, the physical 
relationship of two different things. Tension. Yeah, the tension. And I think that that idea that I think is a really helpful one to embrace is the idea of creating potential energy in situations and when you choose to turn it into kinetic energy. And I think that that's that idea of the way that different heights Real, I mean, it really works a lot of the, like physics. I mean, it really does work like physics. We understand the world by the laws of physics. And if you stayed by the laws of physics, the person who's higher is going to feel like they are full of energy and can sweep down. If you have people at a distance from each other where they feel like they got a magnetic pull towards each other or a magnetic push from each other, we will understand what that means. And there's actually something which is, it's, it's not physics, but it, it's, it's related, which is the idea that in Western culture, in American culture, where we are accustomed to reading from left to right, we also read a stage from left to right. And so if you have someone on stage right or the audience's left, they're full of potential energy. We're waiting for them to go someplace. If you put somebody stage left or to the audience's right, the audience will have read across the stage and have arrived on that person, it gives them gravity because the audience wants to stay on that person until something pulls our attention away from them. If somebody's all the way stage on, the, on, on stage right or the audience is left, we're going to want to move off them to find the next thing along the line. But that if you understand that, there's a lot that you can do about understanding, again, how to shape the audience's behavior to get them to watch the show in the way that you want to. For that reason, too, if your play takes place in a room, whether you put the door on the stage right, on the, or we'll talk for these purposes, on the audience's left or the audience's right, makes a huge difference in terms of whether it feels like, generally, if the door is on the audience's left and people come in the room, it feels as though they have arrived where they're coming from. If the door is on stage right and they come into the room, it has much more of a feeling like they've been pushed into this room. Like this is not a room that they belong to, it's a room that they've been relocated to. Those are not like 100% for sure. You can't feel like you've arrived someplace if the door is on stage right. But if you understand things like that, you understand the way that an audience wants to interact with the picture that is on the stage you know, you, you can do an awful lot to create a sense of, of anxiety in an audience that they, for instance, that they can't necessarily put their finger on because all they know is it feels like this person who does not want to be in this room is being pushed deeper against the grain of the way that they want the, the scene to flow. And it makes it feel more dangerous, subconsciously. Uh, Kit, this is actually jumping back to something you were talking about earlier with the flowers in, uh, in the play that Jenny directed. But just the way that the flowers were used to define a moment of the play and call our attention to a, a moment within the play, the decision. Uh, I also find that props are also incredibly helpful uh, when given to actors in specific moments in a play f for revealing character. And they can really... Uh, let us into the inner life of what someone is experiencing. So, you know, this is just an example from something I worked on in the past. I was doing a production of, of Mice and Men, uh, and one of the characters in the play, Slim, uh, says very little in most of the scenes. Uh, but he is kind of the dominant ranch hand. He's one of the people that are in charge on the ranch. And, uh, and the actor had bringing, been bringing in lots of different pieces of behavior, and then eventually settled on uh, 
a pocket knife and an apple, which he slowly peeled over the course of the scene. And through watching him peel the apple, you knew his point of view on every single person in the room and who he was siding with and who he wasn't and who he was skeptical of, uh, who he was skeptical of just because of the way he was dealing with an apple and this knife, uh, which kept him alive in the scene in a way that if he had just been sitting and listening, I, don't, I know would not have been as clear. That actually reminds me of something you were talking about yesterday, which you uh, might want to talk about again now. Um, but the, uh, the idea of using um, behavior to break behavior to show reaction to something rather than just ginning up a reaction out of nothingness. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about uh, just uh, the idea of an interrupted action and that often on stage when information is revealed to a character, the kind of onus of having to play surprise is just terrible and only ends, uh, it, it just, it, it leads to a lot of acting, like to faking it. Uh, and a, a tool that I have found very useful is the idea of interrupted action, to be in the middle of doing something so that when I receive the new information, I just have to stop and pay attention, uh, which takes out the feeling that I have to go, <gasps> when I found out that he's sleeping with my daughter or something. Uh, and uh, yeah, that actually, that's a, good, that's a good correlation for that. Those two things are very linked. Something in what you, you were talking about a, a minute ago about the idea of the, using the prop to reveal character. Yeah, it brings me to mind of, of, of something that I'll get to in two steps. The first step being it's actually something that when I'm directing something I try to be very mindful of in staging is not repeating any gestures unless there is a reason to repeat them. So if there has been a moment where someone's sitting in the chair and someone is standing over them, Sometimes in a full-length play, you have no choice but to repeat that, but generally not to, but generally to try not to repeat that physical moment unless it is to make a point out of repeating it. And I think that there's ways in which sometimes it can be that physical gesture, sometimes it can be returning to a specific location, a specific place. And, I mean, I, I uh, brought to mind a bit of a, a show I directed a while ago Actually, I directed Tim Davison, who is a, a, a regular with us and, again, is not with us today, but called The Birth of Punk. And he played this... Uh, the setup of that play is it's this wealthy... This, this pair of sisters from this wealthy family. One of them has disappeared for a long period of time. The other is living in the family home now, doesn't know where her sister is until her sister and her ne'er-do-well boyfriend show up on Christmas Eve and cause all sorts of havoc in the lovely home in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, but it was something that when, when at the very beginning of the play, it's someone's knocking on the door, the sister who lives in the house opens the door, and then the ne'er-do-well boyfriend, who is played by Tim Davis, comes crashing into the room, and she feels like she's being attacked until her sister shows up laughing because they thought it was a funny joke. And then there's this whole evolution where they've, the sister and the boyfriend would often the it takes place in the seventies have been off in the you know punk uh, scene in New York City and basically indoctrinate her character into the um, punk uh, scene themselves until her husband shows up and it's a whole other thing. But one of the things that actually really tried to do and I think was pretty effective was that when he came in he attacked her and came and she tumbled over the back of the couch. He ended up pinning her on on this couch which was terrifying for her, and yet when it was broken, she was very careful to put the couch back in place. And 
later on, as he's trying to teach her to play punk guitar, he ends up coaxing her into jumping on the couch. And that became a, a thing where it was a step forward. And then later on, they coax her into doing cocaine with them, and she ends up overturning the couch and is standing up making this huge speech of pronouncement standing on top of this couch and there is something that i don't think the audience would have identified oh all of those things took place on the couch but i do think that there was something about especially given where the couch was placed center stage that it it helped to connect those steps of the story you know in in a way that wouldn't have happened if one of them happened on a chair and the other one happened over by the window and the last one happened on the couch. There also was, actually, it reminds, reminds me of something related to the <laughs> prop stories. One of the things that happened as she was jumping on the couch, she was teaching her to play punk guitar. He's screaming at her, break something, break something, break something. And she looks around and, wind, and winds up and she took the neck of the guitar and whacked a box of Kleenex <laughs> across the room which was actually I think it was something that we discovered in rehearsal but I think was a re is a very good example of her idea of breaking something is knocking over a box of Kleenex but in the next scene she's going to be standing on top of the overturned couch but sort of that idea of building a journey throughout the play that it's not simply a matter of making people stand places where you can see them but where there are landmarks on the set that we understand that people come back to this place when the moments are about something that there is a physical gesture that we see one person towering over another and two scenes later we see the exact same thing but they're flipped and things that an audience won't necessarily say oh I understand but subconsciously they do understand Subconsciously, it has much more impact than if that moment had happened at two different places in the scene, but that they're seeing a version of something that they had seen before. It kind of goes back to what you said, Matt, about pushing the pause button. I think when you watch the play as an, a member of the audience, you don't necessarily isolate that if I pushed pause right now, the, the distance between these two characters or their relationship to the couch or the fact that they're standing in in opposite positions that they were earlier in the play, that doesn't necessarily stand out to me as the reason I'm taking the moment from the play that I'm supposed to be taking. I don't necessarily notice that paused moment, but it's the staging that has been the tool that brought me to that moment. People do have a sense of rhythm in regards to what they're, what they're watching, and those kind of moments are sort of like physical music like they can see it's like if 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 one person's standing over another that's like a line of melody and then when they see the reverse it's like the counterpoint like and even if they couldn't articulate what that moment signified they they experience it as as a motion through space that lines up with other motions through space that has an emotional significance and narrative significance like they can even if they can't later tell like oh the director was trying to do this or this was like the you know relationship corner of the set you know they <laughs> they do intuitively know that because it it feels like music yeah i mean it's it's really the idea of creating a visual vocabulary for the show that the audience is connecting uh, moments to so the, the couch in your example kit 
you know, it was a, was a symbol of her own self-restriction. She had to keep it tidy. And to see her break down those barriers over the course of the show through the same piece of visual, visual vocabulary uh, was a narrative and emotional storytelling element. And actually, I'd forgotten until right now, the last gesture of the play was her throwing everyone out, including her husband, but putting the couch back where it belonged. I'd hmm. actually forgotten that that's actually how the show ended, so it kind of came full circle. But I think there's also that thing about, we're talking about kinetic and potential energy, is that people understand story, and this impacts every part of storytelling, but within context, within the context of what has come before it. And there really are ways in which you were saying, Jen, about the idea that this is the relationship corner of the play. That, again, even if people don't put that together, if that's the place where the couple keeps going, and then there's a scene midway through Act Two where one member of the couple goes there with someone else, you have created a certain potential energy surrounding that space that, again, whether the audience is able to articulate it or not, there will be a danger of these two people sitting in that place that's created by the expectation of that space that you have set up through the context of what has happened before it. Well, that's an idea of territory, which is something that everyone understands. Mm -hmm. you know, this is my turf, and you're infringing on it. Well, that gets into, frankly, one of my great pet peeves, um, which is when you go and see something that takes place like in a bar, and it's just people sit wherever it's convenient to be seen, which anyone who has been to a bar knows you stake out your space and it's your space and you don't sit someplace else unless there's a specific reason to do it. And I think that that's an important thing actually to realize is that a lot of what you can do in staging is play on an audience's cultural expectations too, about to realize what are the rules of being in a room like this and how can I use in my staging to reinforce or break those rules? Who in this room is behaving appropriately given what we understand the circumstances to be? Who is behaving inappropriately? Um, and you know that that's something that you can do very much through staging. You know, if you lights up in a bar and one person is sitting at the bar and the other one is pacing around behind them, we already, without word one being spoken, have a pretty clear idea of who stands where in that situation. You know, and it's the sort of thing that we can, you know, that you can do with staging. It also reminds me of something that's sort of one of my favorite things that uh, John Jory wrote in um, uh, one of his books, I don't know if you guys have read them, he's got these great books called Tips for Actors, and he's got ones for, called Tips for, for Directors, and they're just basically like one-page thoughts on stuff. And he was the artistic director of the Actors Theatre of Louisville for years, but they're terrific books. But one of the things that he said that I, I've just always held on to in staging rehearsals is he said that every scene is a chase scene, which... I've always really liked it. Actually, marries up for me with something that uh, Gene Lasko, who we've talked about before, uh, has said, which is that in any well-written scene, at least one of the people wishes the scene was not happening. <laughs> but but that idea, which I think is is really helpful in terms of um, showing visually the journey of the play. Um, you know, is that idea of who is, as you were saying before, about territory. Who's encroaching on who? Who feels they need to flee? Who wants to get an object between them and the other person? And that there's a lot of ways in which, you know, that thing about negotiating space and negotiating proximity, 
can be a really useful thing to play with um, in terms of creating a set of motion for the scene. Kit, that makes me think of uh, Caitlin Wilcox, who's also a director, actor, and playwright in the company, uh, directed uh, And So It Came to Pass in those days uh, with Jen Kerfman and Jersey Gwizdowski. the journey that plays very much about a broken relationship that over the course of the play ends up to in, in some state of reparation and the way that Caitlin staged it which was beautiful was that it was slowly them making their way around the room to end up sitting on the couch together which had such a powerful final moment because we'd been watching them miss each other for the whole play to then finally make the choice to end up next to each other was was very moving well, and that was actually something that we were able to see some rehearsals of that before it finished. And there was a, a point, and one of the things that we talked about with her and she talked about with us was that she wanted the last moment to be them arriving together, but because of the way the set was set up, there weren't a lot of options of places for them to be other than next to each other. And something she did, which I thought was a very simple but real stroke of genius, was just to add one other chair to the space. You know, and that idea of it then gave them a way that they could have a journey to that last physical moment because there were other places for them to be. And also, it set up the idea of, which I think is an important concept that you can build into staging, of the road taken and the road not taken. You know, is that idea that places where one person was sitting on the couch and the other person had a choice to sit on the couch with them or sit on the chair, the fact that they chose to sit on the chair was a meaningful choice. The fact that they chose to sit on the couch was a meaningful choice. But if they did not have both of those options, sitting on the couch would not have been a meaningful choice. Other than, I mean, you actually could build in a way that it was if standing versus sitting was the choice that they were making. You know, but those are the kind of things that you can build in for yourself and build in, you know, that become about actor, you know, the choices that the characters are making and the choices that the audience is watching being made, you know, as, as they go. And I also think that brings up something related, but not I, I, exactly related, but that I think is a very helpful thing to think about when you're doing staging, which is that very often set pieces and furniture and things like that can be important landmarks on the set, not just in terms of because they can sit on it or they can't sit on it, but when you're looking at a stage, you generally are not saying they are five feet apart, now they are 10 feet apart, now they are 15 feet apart, but you're saying now she's past the chair from him, now she's on the other side of the bed from him. And that there really are ways to realize that that is how an audience relates to the space on stage. And as a result, the idea of whether somebody is standing slightly inside the border of the bed on stage, or literally a foot further back, but where they are not, where they are now on the other side of the bed, that can feel like they're five feet further away. But it has to do with reading the relationship of the actors in the light of the landmarks that you have set up on stage that divides the stage up into sections. And what are the obstacles in between them? You know, what are the hurdles that they would have to clear in order to be close? It really is extraordinary that if you see someone standing, talking to someone five, you know, ten feet away, whatever, and a chair is in between them, how much more distant that feels like 
than if there's not a chair in between them, even though they can totally see each other over the chair. But there's something about that idea and the huge gesture that it can make if one person steps downstage so that the chair is no longer between them. It becomes this real gesture of trying to open yourself up to the other person, even though they can see each other over the chair. The chair isn't actually stopping them from getting to each other, but that gets into the idea of the chase scene, of that idea of taking the obstacle out from between you can be a really important, an important gesture. And I also think that's why I, you know, different shows call for different kinds of staging. I mean, there's, you know, different, some shows want to be softer, some want to be much more regimented. But I generally am, am a fan of the idea that you want to be concise about your movements and move when you mean it. Um, and especially if it's a relatively small space. But that idea of if you set up the visual vocabulary of the show and the movement vocabulary of the show such that people don't move unless they have cause, taking one half step in towards the other person can be a profound statement in a way that if you've got a lot of pacing around and things like that, you need to make a much bigger movement in order to make a statement. And some shows totally call for that, but it is something I think to be aware of, of really to try to establish what is the size of movement it takes to mean something in the staging of this show. Um, we have talked primarily uh, up until this point about um, staging from the point of view of the director, but as an actor, what are your goals when you're in a staging rehearsal and what are you hoping to contribute to the process? For me, I think um, in terms of goals, I'm coming into staging and I, I want to get a sense of the framework that we're working in. Uh, usually up to that point, I've been looking for a lot of different choices and trying to find my way in and I feel like the staging part of the rehearsal process for me is the opportunity for the director to kind of very specifically guide me through which of those choices um, are the choices that serve the play. And it takes some of the pressure off of me to uh, tell any part of the story that's not my own to tell and really gives me a sense of the fact that I fill this role, I move around this play in this way to contribute to this to the story. That, that idea of, of narrowing down and focusing in on the choices that um, you've been working on in the exploratory part of the process, I think in really, I mean, certainly when I am acting, that's something that I, you know, hopefully you've been running around and trying all sorts of different things in rehearsal. And there comes the point where I kind of want to know which one of those things the director wants me to focus on and that there are very real ways in which you can glean that from the way that you're being staged. And you know that that really is something about, I mean frankly from a director's point of view, a lot of what you know I'm thinking about in terms of working with the actors in the staging, you know, in the staging process is that idea of converting their discoveries in exploration into choices for the production. And, you know, I know it's something that uh, actors have said to me, you know, where you, you know, 
we've done all sorts of things. They have all sorts of options. And then you say, okay, now on this line, can you go to her and take the flowers from her? And they say, oh, that's what we're doing. That it's like, that, that okay, I understand given a bunch of choices it could be, and this is the choice that we're going with. Although that's something that literally people have said that, oh, that's what we're doing. But I think that that's something that really kind of helps, for me, sort of frames what staging is supposed to be about, is it's about what you're doing. It's as much as we've talked about sort of what physical relationships, you know, can tell different kinds of stories and are very real. It always has to be wrapped in what is this character doing in this moment. It also, as an actor, staging gives me an anchor point. And a lot of the time, if, if I've had the chance to do a lot of exploration, I... I, I do have all of these ideas and I have all of these impulses that I want to follow, but I don't want to follow them all at the same time. And it's really helpful to have a sense of, okay, this is what we're doing, like you said, to know, okay, now I can follow the impulses that fit into this little piece of the world and follow them fully and, and no longer feel like I'm responsible for deciding my proximity to the other actor or give, it gives me the opportunity to have to have to fight against my impulses sometimes mm -hmm. to come up with another way around another solution to the choice that actually brings up another thing which actually we didn't talk about in the uh, when we were talking about the director's goals but sometimes actually um, you can use staging exactly you know, for what you were just talking about, which is if you're finding that an actor is falling into a choice that might not seem like really the most fully explored choice, when it comes time for staging, the point at which no matter what they were working on earlier in rehearsal, they always came and ran and hugged the other character to say, and on this line, let's just try sit down and deliver that line. And, you know, that that can really help just to break, to force an actor to think about a line in a different way. And I do think that that's an important thing, I think, for you to think about as a director, but also to assure the actors about, which is when you're staging, this is the blueprint we're laying out for what this is going to be. You still have two more phases, at least depending on when you stage, but you still have a significant amount of rehearsal after you've put the show up on its feet for the first time to have it further evolve and to have the staging sometimes radically change and minimally always get much more carefully honed and much more detailed than it ever is going to be the first time you get it up on its feet. And for me, I think a big part of my job in the process of staging is, is to recognize that it's not, I don't always get to follow every impulse. And to be kind of, be present as a collaborator and realize that if I'm being asked to sit down in this chair, that there's something to find in that. And that maybe the director is offering me a solution to something I didn't know needed to be solved. Um, maybe there's a really strong reason that I felt the need to do this, this hug with the other character. And, but, but in the staging process, that's a part of the collaboration to kind of figure out what is behind that impulse and what's behind the other choice that the director is offering and to go with the, the staging that I'm being asked to go with. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big part of that, which is keeping an open mind and, and some flexibility in, that, in this part of the process mm -hmm. to realize that there are gonna be pieces of it that um, 
I think usually will help me greatly as I continue to dig in and build the, build the character, but that it is in some ways a focusing in of the choices, which does mean leaving aside some of the other choices that I might have been really excited about. And this is the part where we do look at a more focused set of choices, and if I've got something that I want to still bring to the table, I'm going to do it now within the frame of reference of this staging. And I also think it's something, you know, that when you're talking about you know, choice that sometimes it's about shaping a choice rather than necessarily leaving it behind. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of, t I mean, what's interesting to watch on stage is tension between things. And so that idea of saying, this is a place where I've always gone and hugged the other character and the, a the director is asking me to sit on this line. You could ask the question, hmm, I wonder why I don't want to hug him in this moment. Or you could ask the question, why don't I hug him in this moment? I'll still hold on to the impulse of wanting to, mm -hmm. but they're actually almost assuredly holding on to that impulse, but sitting and arriving at an answer for why you do that instead of the thing you want to do will result in a much more interesting moment than deciding, oh, I guess the director doesn't want me to want to hug him. I guess I just want to sit in this chair. Let's talk a bit about the actual process of staging, if those are what you're trying to achieve. At what point in the process do you guys like to stage? I mean, this is actually something that there are directors who have a wide variety of points in the process where they like to stage. Some literally it's the first day you arrive and they give you blocking for the show before they do anything else. Others. Uh, you know, do some exploration and then stage it. Others never seem to actually officially stage it. They just let people keep working and tell them to keep things until it becomes a show. Uh, what, what is your point in the process that you guys most prefer to be doing staging? What do you like to have done before, if anything? Well, a lot of, I think, for me, that depends on the length of the process that I have. Uh, but imagining that we are in a four-week rehearsal process for a play, you know, imagining that we spend four or five days around the table uh, and probably a full week exploring, uh, it's really around the end of the second week or probably the beginning of the third week uh, that, for me, it becomes about, it's what both of you were talking about, taking the exploration and allowing that to define choices in a much more specific and guided framework. Mm -hmm. So we've had all of these pieces, and now we begin to select the ones that line up to tell the story that we're all telling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for myself as a, as a director, when I'm, when I'm with the actors exploring the play during that second week of rehearsal, I'm furiously taking notes about moments that they're discovering, uh, you know, either choices they're making uh, or, you know, even more specifically physical choices they're making about their relationship to each other in the space so that when it comes time to staging, even though I, I have ideas that I had from my own preparation, from the table work, I find that I end up throwing half of those out and subbing in the things we discovered together so that that third week becomes about, remember when you were over by the couch and he was sitting in between your legs? How can we find our way back to that moment? Mm -hmm. uh, and allowing things from, ex from exploration along with other moments that we will quote unquote stage during that week to kind of string together to create the, the story. 
And I think that that idea, I mean, I, you know, that staging, and it, and it is the same for me, is so much about both preserving and shaping moments that you found in the exploratory phase. And I know for myself, and I, I've, I've said it before, and it's because I believe it, that I think creative people are generally very reactive people in terms of, you know, they're not people who just go off in a room and come up with something out of nothing. I mean, some people are. But most people see things and respond to them. And that's something I know is a big part of my process during the exploratory phase is it's not, is it is both about absolutely something interesting happens and I write it down and say that's something I want to come back to. But there's also a lot of times where I'm watching something and I'm thinking that's so interesting and it would be even more interesting if they had the table between them during that encounter. Okay, I will remember that. And there were things that I'll find that I put in staging and I asked the actors to do that was totally inspired by their work despite the fact that they never actually did it in the exploratory phase. But almost everything for me that goes into the staging, I mean, I generally will walking into a rehearsal process, and it depends an awful lot about sort of the nature of the show, and if you're doing like a big Shakespeare show or a musical, and where when you're designing the set, you need to be thinking of specific moments and how you're going to be achieving specific things. But for the most part, I'll walk into a rehearsal process with between five and ten specific physical moments that I have in mind. Sometimes they're really critical storytelling moments, sometimes they're just things that in my preparation I've thought, this is something I really want. But then, Everything else in the staging, because the way that I, I, I like a very similar process that you do, that it's basically broken up 20, 20, and 20. In a five weeks rehearsal process, I'd have spent a week at the table, a week up exploring, and then a week doing staging and staging honing and things like that. But that I always set myself up with a little bit, of, at least a day in between the exploration and the uh, staging, because I don't really start staging the show until we finish the exploration. And I do like to walk into rehearsal with the entire show staged on paper. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about how much of that actually ends up being what's on stage. Um, you know, but it really is um, all about the things that w I was inspired by watching the actors work. Um, and again, either the stuff I want to find our way back to or the stuff that what they were doing inspired me to want to see in them. The other thing that is sort of unrelated more from an actor's point of view is that one thing that I know I, I much prefer certainly as an actor and I try to honor it when I'm directing actors is that I've not asked the actors to be off book until we've staged that there's so many ways that as an actor, if you can connect the line to movement, it makes the line much easier to memorize, frankly, but also you're memorizing it in the context of what's happening in the scene. And so that is something that I, I, I whenever possible, sometimes it's a truncated rehearsal process and you just have to say you need to show up off book or whatever you need to do. But whenever possible, I, I try to... Ask, not ask the actors to be off book until we've staged it, but to say, please be off book the time we do the scene after it has been staged. That has been my experience as an actor, um, that that is the most common request of, and the most common scheduling of being off book is the first rehearsal after any particular scene is staged, you're to be off book. But that's my preference as an actor to 
have ideally have had some time to really work so that I'm very familiar with the the text and really have had the chance to do some exploration and often you get to a point where you can set the script down during that portion of rehearsal but to come back to staging at that point before you're completely off book before everything is really coming together take the script back in hand and and do the the staging process then and ideally I love to have time to explore both before I've been given the staging and after because the staging really does impact the the choices that I move forward with so I feel like the right in the middle of the process is my favorite time to learn staging that said I've been in every circumstance I've been in scenarios where I've never been given staging and I've been in scenarios where I've done the same show every holiday season year after year after year and you come in and the first thing you learn is the staging because it you're stepping into a show that already runs so I've, I've done it from every different angle and I think you can work with it as an actor from any different angle but that's my favorite way to work is when it, it kind of is right at the heart of the process. As a director, how much of the blocking of the play do you create for yourself ahead of the blocking rehearsals? How much of the staging do you walk in with on paper into a rehearsal? And to the extent that you do, how do you prepare that? Yeah. Um... For myself, and again, I think it really depends on the material you're working on. Um, but you know, if, before rehearsals begin, if there are very complicated moments in a show, there's a lot of people on stage, there are huge fight sequences, big musical numbers. Those are things uh, that, for myself, I have to have a very firm grasp on before we even begin because it impacts the set, all those kind of costumes, all those kinds of things. But uh, other than those situations, it's you know it's what you said. I, I have a I have, there's a very rough plan for important moments in the show that then through table work and exploration become more and more solidified. So that when I walk into the first staging rehearsal, I have a blueprint of uh, of the scene. And by blueprint, I think what I think what I mean for myself is. I have an idea that in at the top of this beat, this person would be would would go over here or would go to this person. Um, but I often find that in giving the staging to the actors, they help me refine it and discover new moments. So it's not for me so much about always saying cross on this line. It's where in these three exchanges do you need to go over to him, and then they will. Uh, find the reason to go uh, in a way that might not have been my intuition. Or sometimes it's like, oh, you know what, it really has to be that line. But that's something that you can find together so that it, it's not about coming in and uh, asking them to now do this dance. It's, this is an idea, let's find this dance together. Yeah, I, I tend to walk into the rehearsal, I mean, frankly, exactly so that we can do that which you describe. Um, but really with the whole thing mapped out in terms of the line where they move, sometimes the word on the line where they move, in my head. And, but I also notate it on paper. I mean, what I tend to do is get a, make a blueprint of the set, an outline of the set, put like nine or ten of them on a page, 
and photocopy them onto the back of the previous of each page of the of the script so I can mark X1 at a place in the script and then draw on the set where the people move and also what's helpful for me about that is it's also a matter of that if we're picking up from the middle of something I can look and say this is where we are you know it's like I can actually look at a picture and say okay this is where everyone's standing at this particular moment um, but a lot of what that is is that Usually when I'm sitting down to stage something on paper, A, it is very much coming out of the work that I've seen the actors do. I mean, which is the only reason why I feel okay sitting down and doing it in that much detail. But it's also something that I, for me, I know tells the story I want to tell very clearly. But also for me that there are moments that the physical storytelling is incredibly important and so I want to be sure I have at least a path that I know works that will get us to the important physical storytelling moments. Ultimately, I think you want every single moment to be an important storytelling moment, to be staged in such a way that it tells your story helpfully. But there are certain moments that the physicality of it is absolutely key to the way that the story is understood. And what I definitely find, and it surprises me every single time, is that I will sit at my desk with my script in front of me and it's okay so he'll go to the refrigerator and then on this line she'll go to the bookshelf and then he'll take a step into her on this line and then she'll come nope because she needs to be up by the desk and so all right so she'll go get the book from the desk she'll bring it and I'm like okay terrific fixed and I've realized I haven't written anything down for five pages because I've just been figuring out how do we make all of these things happen in a way that... And then I've got to backtrack and go, okay, yes, that's where she went to the desk. And the, But it is an important thing that in terms of telling the story, sometimes if you want there to be the big moment where she, can, where she hands the book to him and makes him deal with it, you need to make sure she's gotten the book. You know, you need to find a place where she's gotten the book and hopefully a place where she's gotten the book at a place that it seems as though that's not setting something else up, but there's a reason she's getting the book for her own reason. And, you know, that's why I think, again, for me, it, it frees me up a lot to be able to go into a rehearsal room and really work with the actors on staging if I know... Because it's, as an actor, I know it can be frustrating if you're in a rehearsal with a director and they're sitting there sort of scrunching their brow and going, hmm, what do we do next? And, you know, I think the director should walk in with a plan that they have good reason to believe will work, even if that isn't the exact plan they end up going with. I think that's a responsibility of the director. Um, although that doesn't necessarily mean you have to know they move on this specific word, but in my head it helps me to think the play through in that way to be sure I'm actually thinking of everything. My experience coming into rehearsal as a director is similar to both of what you've just said, but there's one more element for me. I, I need to have that game plan and I also, because I've been learning to be a director but coming from an acting background, I also need to work some of it out on my feet. And I think it's, it's simply the way that I know best how to encounter a play. And so to sit down both with what I have learned from the actors in rehearsal and the notes that I've been taking from them and the, the moments that I may have had an idea about when we first started and the, the way they've in, you know, encountered the play and taking that and then sitting down with paper and drawing it out and writing it out and making sure that I 
I know we have to get to X point at certain place in the play and making sure that she has the book and, and all of those things, but also then having to figure out rather than, okay, he gets up and has to go to the refrigerator, chances are pretty good. I have to get up and walk over to the refrigerator and figure out how that functions and, mm. and put myself in the shoes of the actors, not, not even the characters. It's not even always motivation as it is proximity and, and physical dynamic, but um, to kind of encounter the play and the staging of the play through my own body in order that I can put it on paper, in order that I can incorporate all of the actor's impulses and take it into rehearsal. That's something that I find to be something very real. I, usually when I'm staging on my own at home, I can do it on paper. But when I'm in rehearsal and there's a staging thing that we need to rework, I very often, and I feel a little bad about it, except that I know it saves all of us a million of time, you know, is, <laughs> you know, to say, can I just stand there for a second? And there is something about standing where the character is and surveying the room that for me, I find, is very helpful in terms of really figuring out what would they do in this moment. Once you've walked into rehearsal with whatever blocking you've done ahead of time, how do you like to run a blocking rehearsal when you're in there with the actors? I find bringing that, that game plan in and starting with a, giving, by giving the actors a little bit of the staging that I have put down on paper. Um, and then asking them to keep working past the staging that I've given them. So I, I see how the, the first bits of, of what we're working on function and wear on them. But then I also get to watch where their impulses go from there. And I get to see whether it's completely in opposition to what I have next on the page or whether it often seems to fall right in line with the next thing and they they organically do the next several moves that I've put down on paper but then I also get to have a sense of kind of going back to the things that I I had learned from watching them in rehearsal earlier in the process and kind of hold that up against the staging just to kind of take note for myself in the next phase of it if this seems to match up with what I was trying to do based on their own impulses. And then we go back and I give them the adjustments or the, you know, clean up what, what they might have or might not have done instinctive, instinctively and kind of keep working forward that way. And then there are definitely parts of, of the play where I have the shape of it and I need their help to really make it work. And then really spending some serious time with them, like you said earlier, Matt, saying this, at, at what point in this six lines does it feel like you need to make this cross to her? And working with them in that way to, to craft and build that, those moments and that part of the staging together. There is something that I think is important, too, about sometimes making that choice about where in those six lines the character crosses to them. Because there is something that is fairly fundamental to the storytelling in terms of that if there's the, whatever line it is that the character finds the motivation and the motor to actually go to the other person will be read as the by the audience as the operative line in that section. It will be the thing that the audience identifies as this is the thought that spurred him to action. And so that is something that I think can be a really 
you know, a very helpful thing. And sometimes it is about what is the line that's spurring the actor to action. And sometimes it actually is in terms of the story you're wanting to tell. It's I want him to come to her when she mentions her brother's wedding. I want the audience to understand that it's hearing her talk about the brother's wedding, not talking about seeing him at Christmas, that is the thing that made him want to get close to her. Um, you know, because it just is something that the way it, it, the audience ties action to relative importance of thoughts in, in, a, in a play. Because frankly, it's in our lives. The things that move us to action are the things that move us. I think I've, I've been finding that the first day of rehearsal on uh, the first day of staging rehearsal on a particular scene allows the space to kind of look at those different dynamics and those different options and then to be able to come back the next time we're working on the staging of that scene and say okay we have the shape of this and now that cross let's do it on this line yeah. to have the chance to kind of see what those different options might be and land then on what's the one that really tells yeah. the story yeah I, I actually work in a very similar way to that in terms of, you know, really letting the actors run and go, you know, about a page or so and then, you know, stop and kind of backtrack a little bit and say, let's take a look at what happened. What of that are we keeping? What of that do we want to change? What I find, frankly, is since so much of what I have worked on um, in my staging was inspired by what I saw them doing, they end up about 70% of the time doing what I have on paper or a very close version of it. And, you know, so that the, and I also find that it's very helpful to talk to actors in the context of what they've done in terms of giving ownership of the scene to the actor and also helping them, you know, to remember what it is you're asking them to do sometimes. That rather than just saying, oh, and in this next beat, go over here. But to say, all right, that was great. Can you do me a favor and let's try it again. And can you cross to her on a line earlier than you did this time? That it's, you know, I love going to her is great. That's exactly what we want for that moment. But can we see if that moment starts a line earlier, what that does? Is I think that that's something that again, gives the actors ownership over what's going on and, and is generally, um, you know, a, frankly, a fair assessment of what you're talking about. And I also find that a lot of times what I have on paper is a heightened version of what they've done. So it is something that that moment where you came over to her, that's great. Do that. But can you actually crouch into her when you get there? You know, that that's something that, you know, frankly, visually, it's going to be more interesting and clearer storytelling if he doesn't just go to her, but actually crouches to get to her eye level. And there's a lot of times where, you know, that 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 cross may have been something that they were doing in the exploratory rehearsals, but I have then added that additional element to it. But again, to talk to the actors in terms of what you just did, can we embellish it in this way? Every once in a while, and I think it's usually the kinds of things that you were talking about, Matt, where this is a very especially complicated sequence or one where we're kind of really crunched for time, frankly, which sometimes happens, is sometimes I'll say, and frankly, I will more or less apologize and say, I'm sorry, but can, can I, and I always do ask, I say, can I give you guys a few moves for the next beat before we get there. And, you know, and sometimes you do say, can we try it where you go to her on this and then turn like you're leaving and then when she says this thing, turn back to her. You know, where it's a thing that you just know, you know it's a moment 
that's kind of complicated and juggling and it's going to be a lot easier for them to do if they know what you're looking for, if it is important to you what it is. Um, and the last thought I have about directing actors with this is one thing that I like to do and I think is really helpful to do is to talk about staging in terms of action rather than location. That instead of being like, go over there, go stand next to her, that it's like, go to her on that line. You know, move towards the door to give her her space. Threaten to go in the bedroom. You know, that sort of a thing so that, you know, get the bed between the two of you. That there's something about that that I think not only, you know, helps to clarify the storytelling in terms of the physicality of it, but also to get the actor in the mindset of sort of the tone of the move, too. Because there's a difference between going towards the door to leave and going towards the door to make her think you'll leave and going towards the door to let her know you're going to give her her space. That those are different things. And they're also actable things. And I just think it's a kindness as a director to talk in actable terms whenever you're able. I have to say, I, I completely agree with everything you both just said. And when I'm working on a play that is very much the way that I uh, approach it, although uh, when working on a musical, there tend to be some things that you just approach a little differently because of the nature of the beast. You know, obviously, large musical numbers with a lot of people on stage are things that you work with a choreographer on, or if you're a director choreographer, something that you have carefully plotted out what moves happen when. But, you know, even something as simple as, uh, like, staging a duet between two people. On that, I think, Kit, I have the version uh, in my script that you described working on a play. I know that on this musical phrase, this person crosses to this person. And on this little accent that happens, there's we need a gesture there. We need a thing there. Uh, and, uh, and yes, I mean, in terms of working with the actors around the table for the musical, uh, there a lot of those ideas come out of conversations we've had about what's happening in the scene, what they're doing with the lyric. But I, I have that much more specific plan for moments like that. And then, you know, of course, there are the gigantic, you know, 30-person dance numbers, which are literally just about uh, being with the choreographer, uh, establishing what kind of movement you want, what movement tells the story, how does the number build, and then finding out the traffic patterns for those 30 people on stage. That's actually so interesting that you talk about that in a musical number you notate it the similar way to what I do in a play because there actually is a very real way in which I feel like as I'm doing the on paper blocking I feel like I'm writing the score to the scene mm. you know that there really is a lot about setting up what are the rhythms of this scene going to be and how is this going to feel and and you know that I I do think in a lot of ways of a scene like a song. You know, I, I mean, in terms of, you know, controlling the rhythm and controlling the rise and the fall of the action, I think that for me, staging is what I think is a relatively uninvasive way to put that into an actor's performance. Because I think actors understand 
in a large way that the staging is the purview of the director. Uh, hopefully you're having a good collaboration, hopefully and you know, you're taking staging things off of what the actors are giving you. Certainly hopefully if you've given the actor a move and they're like this just isn't working for me, can we try this instead? That you're going to be very open to doing that sort of a thing. But ultimately, you know, I think that actors do think of the staging as being something that belongs primarily to the director. And I know that for me, I'm actually, I think, learning this about myself right now. Um, but I know for me, I'm, I really like to give actors a lot of room to run. I like to set up a lot of obstacles for them to have to hurdle over. But I really like to give the actors, you know, real purchase in terms of, you know, their place in, in the process. And I think a part of that is that I know that I'm going to do this incredibly carefully crafted story, physical storytelling work that will support and be supported by what they've done. That I don't need to worry about getting too invasive about their process. I mean, I like to think I can sort of, you know, get in their face and make them use their process in unexpected ways, but that I don't need to be in there telling them how to do their performance so long as they move the way I ultimately ask them to. And I think that's probably why it's so important to me to really work out in such detail where they move and why. What about as an actor? What is your process in the blocking rehearsal and how, if at all, do you notate your blocking? I think my process as an actor in, in blocking is very similar to what I, I mean, it's the other side of what I described in directing. I think the way that I've been working as a director with actors in staging comes out of the work I like to be able to do as an actor. I like to be able to get the, get the shape of the movement, figure out how it fits and wears on me, uh, go back and, and try to hone the the physicality of it and really feel like I'm getting to work through exactly some of the things you were saying, Kit, about why I'm crossing to the door, finding how the, the movement enhances the choices and the choices enhance the movement and how all of that starts to fit together. Um, and so that, that process I described as a director, I think, is exactly the dream process for me as an actor. And I definitely notate blocking. I think when I'm, I mean, I, a pencil is the most important thing. Um, and I think that I can't, I want to be able to take the script and the staging away from rehearsal that day and have all of the tools I need in front of me to start to really put everything together in my body. And um, I, I think it's my job as an actor to take down the blocking, to come back to rehearsal the next time and know the blocking and be able to deliver it consistently if it never changes then all the way through closing night. And so I, I keep notes on where, I don't usually draw out the set, but I have been working on it through the course of the blocking process. So I know upstage left is gonna be the chair and I'll, I'll usually write it down very simply with with a circle around where in the line or where in the scene it happens. There are a lot of scribbles and arrows, but I make sure that every time I have a move, I at least get the cross to wherever. And if there's more time in the process, I'll often also get 
to the point of cross to the chair, cross to the door and put in some of the notes that the director might have given me or some of the things that I found about what that is. But at the very least, I make sure that I have noted the physical movement hmm. and any props. That's something that, I mean, I don't act as much now as I used to, but I actually tend to remember blocking without writing it down, but I always write it down if only to be polite to the director. I don't go, I, I don't necessarily go home and study it because I, I generally remember it, but as a director, it makes me very nervous when I don't see people writing things down. Um, and it's actually something that I also very clearly say at the beginning of a, of a blocking rehearsal, every blocking rehearsal, which is whatever you guys need to do to notate this for yourself. We can take whatever time we need. I would much rather take 30 seconds for you to notate it the way you need to uh, today than spend all day tomorrow trying to remember what it was supposed to be. And I'm often surprised when I say that at how relieved actors look, as though that's not necessarily something they always have an opportunity to do. But uh, it just seems like, you know, helpful to the director the next day. But My experience of, of being in being in a collaborative staging process is often that if I don't write it down the first day, I will remember that original staging. And then we come in the second day and start making some changes that work much better. And I take that home that night and start to be confused. Mm. And so if I, at the very least, have written down the first version of it, then I, I can go back, because sometimes when you're working through it more, you don't go back to the page as much. By now you might be off book. You know, the, the, the new movement might be more organic and it came out of a more active rehearsal, you know, part of the rehearsal. And then I can at least go back and go, right, that one on the page was the first version. Now we're doing this other one. So it's, it's important to me in multiple, multiple ways. And even when I've worked in musicals, to take the time to write down, a lot of the time there's, there are literally numbers at the edge of the stage. And to take the time to write down what number I'm supposed to be lined up with is, you know, you can't, you can't be on stage with 30 other people and not be certain where you're supposed to stand. What do you guys look for uh, from your collaborators when you're a director working with actors, when you're an actor working with director in a blocking rehearsal? I mean, uh, for me, it's just that I'm looking for, for collaboration. And if I'm giving someone a move that they are not comfortable with, I, I want them to be able to say, this doesn't work for me for this reason. Because for me, this moment is about X, which maybe I had been misinterpreting what they were playing in that moment. And so now, Ah, okay, I, I now understand where you're coming from in the scene, which actually helps me reimagine this moment. All right, let's find the thing we can work on together for this. Mm -hmm. uh, I always hate it when I see the actor doing the same move over and over again and it's never working. And then, you know, five, six passes the scene later, I say, you know, what's going on there? They go, oh, well, I always thought this moment was about my mom. Oh, all right, great. Now we're on the same page. I wish we had not wasted those six rehearsals. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really the, uh, the linchpin for me, is that it really wants to be a back and forth. And not just, please do these moves, but let's explore these moves and see where they lead us. Yeah. I think that idea of being articulate no matter which side you're on is so important. I mean, I know when I'm acting, I like for the director to be able to 
explain why this is something that we're doing. I mean, Frank, not because they have to answer to me. But one, actually, I think it's great when somebody says, okay, can you get closer to her here? Again, so I understand the nature of what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's very helpful. You know, but also sometimes as an actor, if the director has given you something to do, you want to do it. You've thought the moment was about your mom, but to be able to ask the director, why do you want me to, why, why, why am I going to the refrigerator on this line? And maybe the director will have an, will have an idea that frankly, I mean, if it might be, well, because I just need to clear you, because sometimes that's the answer. I need to get you, I need to get you out of this space because someone's coming in there. Then you can have the discussion about, well, can we have, you know, I've, this moment's about my mom, can I maybe go over to look at her picture or, you know, whatever the thing is. But if the answer is, because this is the moment, the refrigerator, we're setting up the refrigerator as the place where things about moms happen. Or even, even if it's unrelated to what you're working on, that you can understand, okay, this is, this is something that is important that I be able to justify. You know, and I think that that idea, frankly, no matter which person you are, the director or the actor, to have a sense of scope in terms of we are all here and collaborating. The staging is an important element of storytelling. The actor performance is an important part of storytelling. And let's see if we can't bring the staging and the performance together and the places where they don't match let's be articulate about both of our reasons for wanting to do what we're doing and then kind of be a grown-up about recognizing you know what i liked what i was working on there but that staging moment is actually more important or i liked the idea of him going to the refrigerator but i think it's more important that he be able to hold on to that thread about the mother and i think as an actor being able to have those different things going on at once recognizing that part of it is that you have to learn the technical element of the staging and part of it is that the the director may be able to provide you with some of the motivation for what the movement is and that sometimes you do just have to like you said justify it for yourself and make it make sense but recognizing that all of those things have to dance together and that you a lot of the time it's your, it's going to be your job to put all of those things together and it's never it's never helpful in rehearsal if you go to the director and say you've got to give me my motivation but you can get some help and say great i understand this is a technical move i'm having a really hard time making it make sense in the acting journey can you help me connect these two things and then you're working you're aware of all of the moving parts that you have to be able to contribute to the staging, but you also can really get, get the help that you need from the person who um, is in the best position to help you. And that is actually also something that is, I think, totally okay to talk about in a blocking rehearsal, is that when there are technical demands. I mean, sometimes the reason to do something is because it's about throwing focus someplace. Sometimes it's about clearing the space. There actually was um, the show I mentioned before that I just directed a workshop of that Jen wrote. There's a moment where one of the characters takes off her shirt and someone has written something across her stomach, which actually the actress for perfectly reasonable reasons, had the impulse to cover it up all, like as soon as her shirt was uncovered, but then the audience couldn't see it. And so, you know, part of what we had to say in the staging was, can we find a reason 
that you don't cover your stomach for at least two seconds after the reveal happens so the audience can see what happened. And, you know, sometimes the answer is that we as, you know, the director and and actors need to put our heads together to solve this technical staging problem. You know, and sometimes, you know, it literally is a matter of the set doesn't roll on from that direction or he's going to be backstage making a costume change for the next 20 seconds, so we need to give you business to do at the top of the scene. I understand you like the idea that you burst into the room and start the scene, but he will be half-dressed if he has to be on stage, so we need to find a reason. You know, but I think that that idea of, again, for everyone involved in the process, to begin recognizing, because this is actually when we're beginning to move in the process, at least the way we've all talked about liking to work, away from sort of the discovering our relationships to the material and beginning to move towards how do we use those relationships to tell the story to the audience that's going to show up. And there are some things that an audience will need to understand the story that may not line up with exactly what an actor's impulse is or what a director would most like to see. And Kate, what I, what I really appreciate about what you're saying is, is that uh, solving those potential problems becomes uh, an opportunity to engage an actor so that it's not you having to figure out the way the audience is going to see the writing on her stomach and we can believe that. It's saying to the actor, the audience needs to see your stomach. What, what can we give you? What can we create together that will allow for this to happen, that, uh, you know, for me, takes the, the responsibility off of having a brilliant idea about how we're going to solve that moment and really allows me to engage with another collaborator in the room to come up with a solution that I might not have thought of because I'm not a five foot four girl with a tank top on. And I'm never going to be able to figure that out in my room alone. <laughs> and I, and I, think it, I think it takes part of the pressure off of um, the actor too because if this is all you know a challenge that everybody needs to solve together it's because you know I as an actor have an impulse to do something different and so to be able to contribute to finding the solution means it's going to be something that I can invest in and I know how to motivate and and carry out every single time I think that's a good place to wrap up if you're liking what you're hearing and would like to let other people know about the Cry Havoc podcast, uh, please tell your friends and colleagues that we're out here. Also, you can go to iTunes and subscribe if you're not subscribed, and you can also write us reviews and give us stars. If you'd like to know more about the Cry Havoc company, about our public events, about our educational programming, and about ways that you can support the work of the company, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. You can find us on Facebook as The Cry Havoc Company or on Twitter at Cry Havoc NYC. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Matt, Jen, and everyone here at The Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. 
Thanks for listening and please subscribe.